Amen. My title for you this morning is The Requirements of God's Law. The Requirements of God's Law. For the past 11 weeks or so, you and I have steadily worked on the Ten Commandments. We didn't just mention them. We went one by one, considered their words, explored their meaning, and we discussed the relevant applications today. We learned, number one, that we are to have no other gods. Number two, that we are not to worship images. Number three, that we are not to use God's name in a disrespectful manner. Number four, that we are to observe the Sabbath rest. Number five, that we are to honor our fathers and mothers. Number six, that we are not to murder. Seven, that we are not to commit adultery. Eight, that we are not to steal. Nine, that we are not to lie. And ten, that we are not to covet our neighbor's people, property, or possessions. Now what I'd like to do today is take a big picture view of God's law. As we're taught in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 22 to 33, and in doing so, We will find, I think, what I believe to be the requirements of God's law. So after reading Deuteronomy 5, 22 to 33, I think that the two requirements that we find are these. Number one, God-honoring mediation. And number two, God-honoring meditation. God-honoring mediation, number one. And number two, God-honoring meditation. Meditation. So let's begin with our first point this morning, God-honoring mediation. Now, as we begin with this passage, we see that it's Moses who's speaking. He's relaying what has taken place. And what took place was him receiving the word of God on behalf of the people. Look at the text again, if you would. He says, these words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain out of the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness. With a loud voice, and he added no more. He wrote with them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. This is Moses speaking again. And as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me all the heads of the tribes and your elders, and you said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness. And we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still live. Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us, If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God? Speaking out of the midst of the fires, we have and have still lived. Go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say, and then speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you and we will hear and do it. This is a pretty good explanation and presentation of what mediation is. Now, before I get to some things I want you to note, I want to say this again. A mediator was someone who stood in between God and people to deliver a message. And it's important that that mediator was not enabled 
or allowed or permitted to alter it, to twist it, or to adjust it in any form or fashion. Otherwise, they would be an unfaithful mediator. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, First and foremost, it is required of a steward that he be found faithful. That he be found what? Faithful. In other words, as a mediator between God and people, delivering to the people the word of God, that person must be found faithful. That steward, that mediator, must be found faithful. Again, there are a handful of things that I want us to note here. First of all, there was a mediator. Moses, the prophets, Jesus, the apostles after him, these are all examples of mediators in the Bible. A mediator is someone who stands between God and people. In this case, Moses is standing between God and the people of Israel so that he can receive the law on their behalf and deliver it to them. For example, in a sense, a pastor is a modern-day mediator. They are mediating between God and his people, God's word. But, and this is an important distinction, they aren't making it up. And they aren't receiving it. They aren't claiming to have received from God a new word. Now, there are pastors who do that. We have received a special revelation, or, or God told me to tell you, or I was just laying on my bed one night and received this impression, and God told me. It's not how it works, family. According to Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. The word of Christ is what we have compiled here in the Bible. So pastors today, in a sense, are mediating the word of God, but they're not making it up. They're mediating the same word that you have access and availability to. It's an important distinction to make between the ancient and the modern. Secondly, it was complete. Not only was there a mediator for the law, but secondly, it was complete. I want you to look back at the text. It says that, when Moses spoke to God and God spoke to Moses, he received it. And it says that, and I quote, God added no more. Did you get that? God added no more. That is, when God gave the law, there wasn't anything that needed to be added to it. There wasn't an addendum. There wasn't an appendix. When God gave the word of God, when God gave the law of God, there wasn't anything that needed to be added or subtracted or adjusted later on. Moses says when he gave it, it was complete. Now, that's not to say that there aren't additional legal issues addressed as we go through the Old Testament. There were. But this is to say that in regards to every person everywhere over all time, these are the vertical and horizontal laws that should govern and guide us each and every day, each and every decision. Amen? We see a wonderful picture of just this point in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. It's our Lord Jesus speaking, and he's been asked what the most important law is. And he summarizes the law with these two commands. He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
On these two commandments depend how much? All the law and the prophets. So church, what I want you to see here is what Moses is saying. I have mediated for you, on behalf of you, between you and God, a law that is not incomplete. A law that is complete. Years later, when our Lord is here in teaching, he says, I could summarize all the law for you in two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all you've got and love your neighbor like yourself. Church, if we were to follow those two principles, we would be, in a sense, satisfying the spirit of the law. Now, we know that we're sinners and we can never do it perfectly, amen? But the reality of the matter is, is if the law were to be reduced to a simple synthesis, it would be these two points. Love the Lord your God with all you've got and love your neighbor the way you would want to be loved. Friends, this is the life of faith and faithfulness, that we love God and that we love others. If we live within the principles of the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments to which God needed to add nothing, then our lives and the lives of others would be blessed. Amen? What would it look like if the people of God lived with hearts full of love for him and for others? Third, I want you to note, and this is clear but possibly overlooked, that there was a medium, that there was a medium. I want you to look again. He says, he wrote, at the end of verse 22, he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. You see, there was a medium. In other words, God's word spoken ended up being God's word written. Thank you. Sure. We see times throughout the Bible when the prophets spoke. When God spoke to people. We see times in the Old Testament when God used dreams and visions. Sometimes he used direct contact audibly. But we see that dissipate and disappear eventually, especially in the New Testament. And we see prophets and prophetesses in the New Testament. But as we get to the later New Testament books, the ones that are farther removed by date from our Lord Jesus, we see the conversation of prophecy disappear. Slowly but surely, God used in his providence the medium of the written word. And this is important, church, because everything you need to know about eternity and your life is found in the Word of God. Everything that you need to know about your spiritual well-being is found in the Word of God. Nothing new is necessary, and nothing new is needed. God isn't speaking through fire and clouds and mountains anymore like he used to as he was developing through his people, the apostles and prophets, the written Word. The written Word has been written now. And in his providence, he has protected it and ensured that today at First Baptist Church of Cutler Ridge in 2023, we could, through historical artifacts, compare and contrast and guarantee that what we have today is a reliable God and a reliable word. We don't need to hear anymore the words God told me. We don't need to hear anymore, I had a dream and God revealed to me. 
I love what the Puritan John Owen said. He said, if private revelations agree with Scripture, then they're needless. And if they disagree with Scripture, then they're false. We don't need revelations, church. We have the revelation recorded. We have the word written. Now, before I move forward, let me press on you a little bit and say this. In a day and age when the accessibility to the written word of God is so much more common, I feel like the biblical literacy is in a decline. If ever there were a time when we should be reading the word of God, it would be today. If ever there should be a time when we should be studying the word of God, it should be today. We have a plethora of good, sound translations to choose from, as long as you choose the ESV. No, I'm just kidding. That's what we use here. That's what I use. But there are a number of translations to choose from. Not only that, but if you're against hard copies, if you're against the smell of new pages and new books, if you're against all those amazing experiences, you could download an app. You can download an app for free. You not only can download a Bible app for free, but you can download a Bible app for free that will read the Bible to you. Listen, don't be lazy about the Word of God. I'm going to press on you a little more firmly, and I'm going to say this. Some of you think you know a lot, and you don't. You act like you know a lot, and you don't. You couldn't tell me chapter, verse, book, but you're pretty sure that you're right and somebody else is wrong. Friends, that ought not be our attitude. Our attitude should be this. May the word of God be richly dwelling in our hearts and minds. And if it's accessible to me and it's accessible to you, then that should be our passion, to know the word of God more. So first of all, we see that we are to read, to rely, and to understand on the word of God because... The law required something that was provided, namely, God-honoring mediation. And praise the Lord for that. But that isn't the only thing that was provided. We also had something else provided as a requirement of the law, and that is this, God-honoring meditation. Now, this is going to be a bit of a challenge for us because this is not something being done on our behalf. This is something that we must do ourselves. Amen? Read with me, if you would, please, verses 28 to 33. And the Lord heard your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the words of this people, which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always, to fear me and to keep all my commandments that it might go well with them and with their descendants for how long? Forever. Go and say to them, return to your tents, but you stand here by me, and I will tell you the whole commandment and the statutes and the rules that you are to teach, that they may be, excuse me, that they may do them in the land that I am giving them to possess. And now Moses carries on by saying, You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live 
and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. When we read and study God's law, and that is when we meditate on it, that's what it means to meditate. It doesn't mean to light candles and turn the lights off and roll out a mat. To meditate literally means, by definition, to chew the cud. In other words, it's to review and revisit the thoughts of God's word. You're, you're not trying to become mentally neutral. You're, be, you're trying to become mentally engaged. That's what it means to meditate. So when we meditate on God's word, what we're learning here, according to this paragraph, is a handful of things. I want to share them with you. First, when we meditate on the word of God, we learn that God is holy. When we meditate on the word of God, specifically the law of God, we learn that God is holy. When we read the law, friends, we learn what God is like because the law reflects his character. The law reflects his standards, and the law reflects his expectations. In Leviticus 19, verse 2, and then again in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, it says, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You see, God's expectation of us is holiness because he is holy. I love what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 48. He said, You shall be perfect because your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, let me take that word from Jesus and let me replace those words, perfect, with something else to show you how ridiculous it would be if we had a different standard by which to measure ourselves. You shall be mediocre because your Father in heaven is mediocre. It doesn't work, does it? You shall be okay or, or you shall be better than your neighbor because your Father in heaven is better than any other God. No, the standard is holiness, and the standard is perfection. And if we were to replace that standard with, any, with anything else, it becomes ridiculous. Secondly, we learn that we aren't holy. The law teaches us that God is holy, but secondly, we learn that we aren't holy. As much as God's law teaches us about his holiness... It simultaneously teaches us that we're not. We lie, we cheat, we steal. And even if we don't do these things, literally, Jesus teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount that our hearts and minds betray us because we imagine and we play out these situations. Romans chapter 3, verse 20 says, For by works of the law shall no human being be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. In other words, no one is going to be justified by the law because the purpose of the law was not so that we could get justified. The purpose of the law was to show us that we couldn't be justified. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. James chapter 2, verse 10. In James chapter 2, verse 10, James says, Whoever keeps the whole law, imagine that for a minute. Imagine keeping the whole law and yet fail at one point. Not two, not three, not five, but one point. If you keep the whole law and you fail at one point, James says, you become guilty of all of it. Why? 
because he says the same God who gave this law is the same God who gave that law. So it doesn't matter if you keep the whole law, which is not a possibility. This is a hypothetical argument. If you were to keep the whole law and only fail at one point, you'd be guilty of all of it because it isn't the law that you're answering to. It's the God who authored the law. So you see the point. We're all lawbreakers. And we need forgiveness. And God's forgiveness is available to us through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? He kept the law perfectly on our behalf. So the Bible says, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Did you get that? That is what we believe as Christians. As Bible-believing Christians, we don't believe that anyone can answer, how do you know you're going to heaven with this answer? Well, because I've been good. No, no one is good. That we've just determined that everyone is a lawbreaker and no one is good. Romans 3, 28 again says that if we're justified, we're justified by faith apart from the works of the law. In other words, by the works of the law, no one, how many? No one will be justified, not even your grandmother. As amazing as your grandmother is, she is not justified by the works of the law. Think of the most excellent person in your life. That person is not justified by the works of the law. If anyone is justified in the sight of God, it is merely by faith in Jesus Christ, not by the works of the law. Why? Because Romans 3.20 says that it isn't by the works of the law that justification is offered. The works of the law teach us that we're sinners. Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. The righteous will live by faith. You're going to live a righteous life in God's eyes? Are you going to stand in righteousness in God's eyes? Well, then it's not going to be by the law. It's going to be by faith. This isn't to say that God's law isn't what we should live by. This isn't to say that God's law doesn't give us a measurement, a barometer, a standard, a guide. It certainly does. But what it is to say is that we won't be justified through the law in God's eyes. We can only be justified by faith in his Son, Jesus Christ. But beyond that, church, we learn a couple more things, and I want to share those with you. But before I do, let me have you look to your left and look to your right, and notice, if you would, please, that we're a little down today. So when you say amen, you have to say amen louder. <laughs> you know what I mean? And when, and when you go, uh-huh, 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 you got to say it a little louder. All right? Okay. Here we go. Amen. Thank you. Third, we learn that God expects us to cherish his word. That's what, me that's, that's what meditation means. You don't meditate on things you don't cherish. You meditate on things that are meaningful to you. You meditate on things that are valuable to you. Is the word of God valuable to you? Is the word of God meaningful to you? I can answer that question without you answering it for me. If you don't meditate on it, it's not valuable to you. 
Whatever you spend your time thinking about is valuable and meaningful to you. It might be a movie, a video game. It might be your spouse. It might be your children. Now, those things are not necessarily sinful, but what we should have as a joy above all others when it comes to things we meditate on is the Word of God and our relationship with God. I love what verse 29 says. Look at it in your text, if you would, please. God says, Oh, that they had such a heart as this always, to fear me and to keep all my commandments. Church, God wants us. No, no. God deserves from us. Amen? To fear him, and that is to honor him and respect him above all things, and to keep his word. That's what brings God joy. He says, oh, that they would do this always. Fear me and keep my word. Listen to what Isaiah chapter 66 verse 2 says. Isaiah 66 verse 2 says, But this is the one to whom I will look, declares the Lord. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. You see that? God looks with favor upon the one who is humble and contrite and trembles at his word. Church, let me put it to you plainly. If you don't take God's word seriously, then you don't take God seriously. You cannot dislocate that relationship, that juncture. If we don't take God's word seriously, then we're not taking God seriously. Fourth, I want you to see that we learn God expects us to walk. Look at the text, verse 33. You shall walk. You shall what? Walk Walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you. Now the word walk suggests a few things. It suggests movement. It suggests motion. It suggests momentum. It suggests purpose and progress and positivity. We're not sitting around, in other words. We're walking. We're not watching. We're walking. We're not criticizing and grumbling and telling other people how they're supposed to walk. What are we doing? We're walking. If you've been in my ministry for any amount of time, then you've probably heard me put it like this. You've got to put feet to your faith. You've got to put feet to your faith. Your faith can't be something that you just pontificate or sermonize about. It can't be something that you just sort of leave in this ethereal status. No, your faith has got to demonstrate itself in real life. Don't tell me. Show me. Or... As the word of God says, if you believe it, walk in it. If you believe it, walk in it. But that's not all. We can't walk just anywhere and anyhow. Look at chapter 5, verse 32. Just back up just a verse there. Chapter 5, verse 32. He says, you shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. When I was 
teaching our daughters to drive, I would say, you have to be aware of what's happening all around you, but you got to keep your eyes forward. You got to be aware of what's happening all around you, but you got to keep your eyes forward. I'd say, if you aren't looking forward, you'll drift. Church, be aware of everything around you, but keep your eyes forward. Let me say that again. Be aware of everything that's around you, but keep your eyes forward. Be aware of the evil and the ungodly and the sinful, but keep your eyes forward on God and on God's word. There are few things as helpless as a distracted Christian who's drifting because they've taken their eyes off God. Friends, if you're distracted, refocus and look forward to the cross. If you're drifting, refocus and look forward to God's word. I've got good news for you today. Say amen if you're listening. God allows for course corrections. God allows for course corrections. You might be saying to me, Joe, I got distracted and I started drifting and spiritually, I don't know where I am or how I got here. I've got good news for you. God allows for course corrections. You might be saying to me, Joe, I got distracted. I looked a little left and I looked a little right and and I put my attention on someone I shouldn't have. I put my focus and my attention on something I shouldn't have. I I put my focus on something other than my personal holiness, a fleeting pleasure rather than my eternal peace. I've got good news for you. God allows course corrections. Church, we all get distracted from time to time. We might drift if we lose focus. We could lose faith. But I love what Proverbs chapter 3 says. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 say, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make what? Straight your path. He will make straight your path. Beware of the demonic dump trucks. Beware of the satanic SUVs. But keep your eyes forward, otherwise you will drift when you become distracted. Trust in the Lord and stay in your lane. To close, let me say this, church. The conclusion of God's law teaches us two requirements. We need a mediator and we need to meditate. 